Welcome to Pragmatic Live, the podcast series for product management and product marketing professionals. I'm Lisa Sorg-Friedman, and today I'm joined by product management and product marketing professional Jonathan Lucky. Jonathan shared his personal experiences implementing personas with us in a recent popular webinar titled Getting the Whole Company to Fall in Love with Your Personas. Jonathan's webinar was so popular that we didn't have enough time for him to answer all the questions people asked, so we've brought him back to answer the outstanding questions. Welcome, Jonathan. Oh, thank you, Lisa. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. As I mentioned, your webinar was extremely popular, and we had so many questions that we didn't have time to address. So let's just get into them and um, have you answer for our uh, webinar listeners. Yeah. During the webinar, Rick had asked, how do you make contact with interviewees for non-customers? Yeah. Do you do cold calls? What do you do? Um, it's a little bit of a mix of everything. Um, you almost kind of got to have a little bit of a sales hat on. Um, originally, I have a little bit of a background in, in sales. Um, and uh, it, you really kind of almost got a prospect, if you will, for your interview subjects. So um, go on LinkedIn and, and, and try to join certain groups. Like I joined a group of CIOs. And just kind of kept an eye out on who were the people that were contributing in that group, specifically organizations that were um, very interested in technology itself. Um, and then the other thing is um, just kind of really just getting out of the office and talking to people. So I attended networking events. So here in Charlotte, we had like an, have an event called Tech After Five. I try to make it to we're just technical professionals. Um, there are CIOs, there are uh, business analysts, IT analysts, and so forth that attend. And you never know. You just you're, you're, you have a little bit of a beer and you strike up a conversation, and you never know if that someone could be um, someone that has valuable market data in their brain that you could that you could pick at and set up a time. Um, the other thing is don't underestimate the power of the referral from your existing customer base. So. Um, my time at Christian Steven, they, uh, our, our target buyer was the CIO. So uh, CIOs know other CIOs. So, of course, um, just spending time interviewing existing customers, um, it almost always led to uh, a conversation where I go, hey, do you know other uh, CIOs out there that are kind of similar uh, to you that you think would, be, would give me a, a ton of great insight? And, and invariably, they go, yeah, you know, there's a guy I know named Jerry. He's the CIO of Acme Corp. And, you know, he had some similar challenges that we had. He'd be a great person for you to interview. Let me, let me introduce you to him. So um, it's just about really kind of just working your contacts and, and kind of prospecting, except for you're not going after uh, people's wallets. You're going after what's in their brain. Well, that's interesting. Okay, we have another question. Amy asked, why would the potentials want to talk to you? What's in it for them? That's a really good question. You know, uh, all the interviews I've done, I think the only thing I've really done for them is buy them a free lunch. <laughs> They're not even anywhere fancy um, after the interview, if they have the time to do it. Um, and this has been users. Um, these have been buyers. Um, I think... We don't realize it, but people have a very genuine interest in sharing 
their challenges, their problems, and sharing with others about their life and what they go through as a professional and as a human being. And people actually just inherently enjoy it. I mean, there'll be people who won't want, who won't be uninterested in doing it. But I don't think I've ever encountered anyone that said, you know, I'd like to be paid for my time or I'd like to be reimbursed for this. Um, people who have a genuine interest in seeing that their challenges and problems are solved, they would love to hear someone come in and sit down and listen to those problems in the hopes that one day maybe some sort of feature or product or solution to that problem will come out of that in the future. And it gives them a chance to display their thought leadership in their industry. So I guess really what's in it for them is, is the idea that um, they feel honored that someone wants to pick at their brain and understand understand them. And maybe that's enough for most people, at least in my experience. Mm-hmm. I think you might be right about that. I found that too, and it's it's always yeah. been helpful for me to just have those conversations with people, kind of sharing, you know, what what's working for you, what isn't, what yeah. challenges do you face? Because I think a lot of people realize that they share many of the same challenges. It's just that we don't always talk to each other about yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. There's a there's a group called um, called Vistage. I'm I'm not a member of the group, but it's a very interesting group um, where business leaders, business owners, they have a chance to really sit down and talk with each other. And um, it's it's very interesting because you realize in these in those types of groups that we all suffer from some of the same ailments. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's just good to just be able to share them, you know. Yeah, that's true. Well, and if you think about it, any company, you know, you have a lot of different types of people working together. So you may only mm-hmm. have a few product managers, and they yeah. aren't always talking to people outside the company, just as any, I mean, a CEO, mm-hmm. um, CTO. And so it's really great to have time with your peers. I think that's yeah. great advice. Yeah, Exactly. Well, Jeremy asked, what's the best way you've encountered to get out in the market and obtain meetings with potentials? Now, you'd mentioned a little bit about LinkedIn and Mm -hmm. just working your contacts. Do you have any other – are there any other thoughts on that? Yeah, just getting getting out there. Um, Networking events, if you target networking events of people – um, of people in that you know would, that you of people in your buyer and user base where they'll be. So, um, for example, so from interviewing existing customers, I always ask the question, what do they read or follow, right? So what or what type of networking events do they go to? What kind of conferences that they go to? So invariably, if if our customers are at that are at these events, then more than likely the non-customers will be at these events. <laughs> uh-huh. So. That's a great opportunity just by looking at your existing data and talking to your existing customer base, find out what type of events that non-customers will be at. So then once you're there at these types of um, events or these networking events or conferences, um, you just strike up conversations. That's not easy, especially um, I'm a very outgoing person. I don't have any problems striking up conversations, but not everybody necessarily likes that. So really, it just comes down to you know steal someone's time while you're at the at the at the food table, getting ready to eat. Strike up a corny joke with the guy next to you grabbing a bagel, and just ask them, you know, oh, what do you do and where are you from? And, and if they are really kind of really seeming very engaged and interested, you go, you know, 
I actually do quite a bit of uh, market research, and I think you really have a lot of, you could add a lot of value to my research. Um, could we, could I spend maybe an hour of your time um, next week or something? Or maybe that person while you're at the conference goes, well, I'm going to be sitting in a hotel room all this week, so I'd love to just go and grab dinner and talk about it or go and sit down and let's go talk about it at a coffee shop or something. Yeah. So you do kind of, it does require a degree of you being outgoing um, to to be able to establish that contact. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, events, um, LinkedIn, joining LinkedIn groups are huge. Um, even, and this doesn't work very well um, because it's very, um, it's not very personal, but sometimes an email blast um, can work. You know, if you have a, a database of CIOs out there, um, you can send out a very personalized, looks like you wrote it as a human um, type of email to that database and go, you know, hey, I am the product manager um, or the product owner at such and such company, and I'm really trying to get a, a deeper understanding of the market. I would love to spend an hour with you to understand um, your needs and, and how things are. This is purely market research. And you may or may not get some results. I usually, in my experience with that stuff, usually the, the return is like 1% to 5%. So, But that's just another option that could be if, you, if you're going to try to get out to as many people as you can. Hope, hope that one answers it. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, in another question from Natalie, she wanted to know, how do you get the subjects for your surveys? Do you buy lists, or what exactly do you do? Uh, a combination of things. Um, lists are one way to do it, and that was typically the way we, we've done it, um, just simply getting, getting the list of individuals. Um, sometimes you already have that database and you don't realize it, and it lives inside of the marketing department. <laughs> if you can, if you can, uh, if you have that kind of relationship or, or possibility of getting to it, so marketing probably already has a massive prospecting list, or maybe sales does. Your sales team does. So instead of you necessarily having to go out and buy a list, um, you may already have that database that's been built, and not necessarily those people have been bought. Those might be contacts and prospects that the company has just generated over time by feeding them through the funnel of social media and other content. So that so that's one way buying lists. Um, again, I, I keep saying LinkedIn, but um, build, going through LinkedIn and build out your your database, as it were, manually of, C, of CIOs because you can use some of the search tools to kind of narrow down um, your, your target subjects uh, based off of the search criteria in LinkedIn. So, you can search by, by geography, by role, by industry, and that can help you build out that list. And then you take that list of people and you start contacting them, um, and, and you go about it that way. Um, so those are two ways to kind of get a large body of, a large body of, uh, of different users or different subjects, rather. Mm -hmm. All right, well, here's an interesting question. Adam asked, can you talk about using names for personas? I've run into a lot of opposition to this, people insisting it's corny hmm. to use names. <laughs> well, um, there's a reason, and there's a very compelling reason why you want your personas to have a name. And the reason is you have to ask yourself a question. Are you and the people on your team, are they going to resonate with persona number 26? 
not really. That's a number. Are they gonna Are they gonna resonate with Carl Dakota? Yes, they're gonna think about that. They're gonna start thinking about this person as a human being. The only way how it can truly be come off as corny is if you actually use Carl Decoder in your marketing materials, for example. So you have a yeah. commercial about Carl Decoder in your <laughs> – now, that can come off as um, to, to your target market as you are patronizing them, that you're, that you're obviously stereotyping them. And that's when using your personas, using your persona names is corny, when you're actually using it in marketing materials. But internally, um, you, if you're articulating that this is a human being and that this isn't just some joke, um, it's not corny. You're trying to really personify and, and, and show that this is a real, living, thinking human being. And, um, and, and names, names do that. And if you don't have a, attach a name to something, then people don't get attached to what it is that you're talking about. They're not going to get attached to the narrative of the market. So um, names are very important. It's not corny. They can be, but if you're telling the right story about that person, it's actually not corny at all. It's very, very deep and personal. Mm -hmm. Well, I know I, it would certainly make more sense for me, or I could internalize the information a lot easier by uh, talking about Carl the Coder versus persona number 26. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. That, I think that's a good point. We had a question from Gavin who wanted to know, should I determine if I'm making a buyer or user persona before interviewing and surveying? Or can I differentiate buyer, user persona categories when reviewing the mind map? Um, well, you really want to start off with your research before you actually go create the personas. Mm -hmm. um, because what you do is if, if you create the personas first, then two things could happen. A you'll go and find people that fit that persona as opposed to as opposed to the opposite, which is who are the people in the market, and then the personas are driven by who these people are. You run the risk of your persona being driven by what you already think the persona is. So you really don't want to create the persona already because it could pollute your research from the very beginning. Um, so even if you and if you insist that you have to do it that way, you really have to completely take everything you just wrote down with a grain of sand and be incredibly skeptical of it because now you have to put it in your mind. Your job is to prove or and disprove that what you that you know, all the assumptions you just made in your persona are going to be correct. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> I would advise that you do the research first because it keeps your brain open um, to the possibilities. Otherwise, you'll start. You you might end up working yourself into a box, and and you might and you might miss certain discoveries about your market. You wouldn't, excuse me, about your market you wouldn't have already thought of. Mm -hmm. All right. We have a question from Susan, and Susan wanted to know: Can you redeem yourself if you have created personas from the inside out and derived the information from people who work with your customers rather than talking with the customers directly? So that kind of that's kind of what you were talking about a little bit. You know, the danger of doing things backwards. Do you yeah. do you have any thoughts for Susan there? Yeah, um, I absolutely believe you can redeem yourself, Susan, because um, that's exactly what happened with us. 
um, we started off with our personas being driven entirely internally and, in fact, being built off of our own people inside of the company because we said, well, all IT people are the same, so our IT people in our company are the exact same as IT people in other companies. And um, once we started having a very concerted effort to do the research and to really understand the customer, we realized that in many ways we were wrong. <laughs> and, and that's how you redeem yourself. Um, really get out there and, and talk to the customers, interview them, validate the interviews with um, quantitative data, validate, validate your thoughts through the surveys. Um, because, and, and then you're going to go back and just compare what you've done to what now you've learned. And you're going to start realizing. In fact, I would say make a list. As you go and go, you know, we said that the customer likes to wear orange on a Wednesday, and that's what we thought because we said that's what we figured internally, and that's what everyone told us. And so now you go down to your checklist and you go, do customers really wear orange on a Wednesday? Um, no, they don't. <laughs> and so before you know it, you'll realize in your checklist, holy smokes, we were wrong about like 10 out of, 10 out of the 12 things that we thought about the customer. And that's kind of how you redeem yourself, and you also can kind of show, and it's not trying to kind of beat the rest of the team upside the head about it, but it's showing this is the reason why we have to be in, that we have to think outside in, is because mm -hmm. you were wrong about so much, you know. So it's absolutely possible to redeem yourself, absolutely. Well, I'm sure a lot of us will be happy to know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been there. <laughs> yes. Well, Mark wants to know, how often should personas be updated? Yeah, um, I would say as I would say always keep your personas as a Word document <laughs> um, wow. because um, your research isn't a one-off thing. This is a continuous um, process as opposed to a project. You are constantly going out there in the market and learning new things and then testing those new things against the market. Um, so in testing your learnings, and then now you take your new learnings and then you're reintegrating them into the persona. Um, as far as often, well, if you think about it this way, um, if you should do at least two to three Nahito visits per month, and um, at least for myself, I was running one survey a month that validated um, the information that I was learning in my interviews, running that once a month, then you're probably going to be integrating your new learnings into your personas every month. So you'll probably uh, do like a monthly review based off of all the learnings that you've done, um, if yeah. you want to think about that in frequency. And what that does is what's really great about that is that means literally every couple of weeks your market intelligence is, is up to date. And every company would absolutely love the fact that their intelligence is up to date within a matter of weeks, maybe sooner than that, you know, depending on how fast and rapid your market changes. So I would say at least once a month, at, at the very least, and maybe more so than that, just based off of the, the velocity of your research. Mm. So it really is a living document. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all right. Absolutely. Good to know. Eugene asks, in your past experience, how long will it take to bring marketing and sales and other groups on board with uh, building a persona initiative? 
Yeah, well, from my experience, um, starting off from scratch where you had no personas, um, no, no truly defined personas in the beginning, uh, it took for us a couple of years, um, about two years, for really the organization as a whole to really latch on to these personas and adopt them. Um, and what it also may take, and it did this for us too, were significant changes in the way how the organization operates in various groups. So changes in initiatives, the changes in um, it being a very market-driven organization, it being a very um, uh, shifting in terms of here's, here's how we, say, develop a product and who we're developing it for. Um, who is our target buyer and, and, are we, and how are we focusing on that buyer? Um, so I think accompanying it needs to be, um, if, that's, if, this not, if this isn't already happening in your company, um, kind of a transformation in the, in the company to be market-driven as well. So um, for us, it took about two years. Um, it, the first people to latch on to it was marketing, um, which was really cool because it, it made sense in marketing um, because they didn't necessarily understand. I mean, they, they knew who the customers were. But them being able to understand on a very deeply personal level the individual goals and aspirations of our different buyers and how those connect to the users, um, that made the marketing message, that improved the marketing message just naturally. And um, marketing people should love this because it, it's already actionable market information that they can immediately turn into messaging, into copy. Um, so that, those are the first. Um, then came development, and that became from a lot of the, uh, a lot of the transformation of, of that organization into agile methodologies, agile principles, scrum, where you're really thinking about the roles of the user and how they interact. And, and that also fit very well with implementing personas as well. And then finally sales, because um, sales just needed to understand the customer. It took yeah. them a while to realize that having that type of document and having that deeper understanding of the market, that made them go, you know what, wow, we can actually build out um, strong questions. Or we actually have, it helps us mitigate the risk is what I'd like to say about, about the customer. Before we even answer the phone, we already know who they are. Before we even pick up the phone and dial them, we know who they are. So um, it takes time. It, it's, a, it's definitely a game of winning hearts and minds. <laughs> Fascinating. So two years, that's quite a while. But that gives you plenty of time to get people on board, doesn't it? Yeah. And, I mean, it, it, it could be sooner. I mean, obviously, and, and obviously a much smaller company may, um, may, may, it may happen much faster. Um, but in much larger, more matrixed organizations, it's probably a much, much slower process because there's a lot more people you have to win over. Um, definitely what speeds it up, I will say, is having executive sponsorship of, of that yeah. type of program. Um, that makes all, all the difference. you just got to have that support from decision makers and decision makers across the organization. That's what makes it work, and that's what makes it work quickly. Yeah. All right. We have a question from Brian who wants to know what the added value is of the story over a detailed demographic description. So the story, the story internalizes in the human psyche a lot, much stronger than data and numbers. 
Um, so has anybody ever sat down and gave you a whole bunch of – or actually, here you go. If you've ever been to watch, say, like a political debate or you listen to a politician talk, um, how many people get really interested when the politician sits there and talks about statistics, economic numbers, GDP, the trade deficit, and they go on about lots and lots of different numbers and statistics to prove their point? Um, the average person's eyes will glaze over <laughs> because they don't understand the nuances of, of economics. They don't understand the nuances of, of, of international politics or whatever. But what the politician does do is they actually tell a story. So if you remember way back a couple of elections ago where they talked about Bob the Plumber. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bob the Plumber. Now, Bob the Plumber was a, was a representative of a whole bunch of statistics, you know, someone that was um, – middle-aged, that um, was lower middle class, they were a blue-collar worker, and they're probably from the Midwest, and there's a whole bunch of statistics behind that. But guess what stuck in everybody's head? Bob the plumber. <laughs> because it yeah. told a story about that group of people, people who are just want to work hard and want to come home um, knowing that their bills are paid and play with their kids and then go to church on Sunday. And that was a compelling story that attracted people. And that's where the added value is. There's a there's much greater stickiness to telling a narrative and a story about a person than telling a whole bunch of data about them. It's the stickiness of it that makes that story um, valuable and compelling. Interesting. All right. Well, Victoria would like to know if you can elaborate more on how to socialize personas within a company. In your webinar, you had mentioned guerrilla hmm. tactics. And can you provide yeah. some examples? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of ways you can socialize it, and it's definitely uh, roll your sleeves up and, and get in there. I will say having a meeting on personas doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, you can do it and present them and everything, but um, it, it, if you just have a meeting where you just explain them and you passionately tell the story, yes, it's good to introduce but you can't leave it there. Um, you've got to be there. So literally I would sit in on sales calls um, with the sales team, and we're getting off the, when we get off that phone, we go, okay, let's talk about who were the people in the room on that sales call. Um, yeah, that, that person that was doing a lot of the talking is focused a lot about money. Who, who, who was she? Who do you think she's a lot like? Oh, she's a lot like Connor, the CIO. Um, you know, the person that asked all the technical questions in the room, um, you know, talking with the salesperson, who do you think that person reminds you of? Um, and they go, you know, I really think that's, I think that's Jim the Analyst, you know. Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. I think that is a Jim the Analyst type person. So um, literally sitting in there with the salespeople and, 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 and try to draw the dots between the real people that they're talking to every day and your personas and show how, accurate we really are um, in terms of knowing these customers, and that's one way to do it. Um, the other way is to uh, build in, um, say, on the development front, build in elements of your persona into the actual, say, user stories or requirements that development is using to build the product. You know, um, this, this very, you know, success criteria could be part of this is uh, Jen, say, Jen is able to go home at 5 o'clock um, if this happens or something like that. So it's basically a way of, of, in the success criteria, we're tying the goals of the persona 
right there into the work. So that way your team is going, yeah, this the point of this particular story or this theme, this epic, is specifically um, so that Jen can go home at 5 o'clock every day. In marketing, for some reason, it just, at least in my experience, always seems to be a little bit easier um, because you go, well, marketing is always looking for a compelling message. So when you literally sit down with them, when they're doing their creative briefs um, and they're planning out their campaign and they're thinking about who that the message is for, bring these people up and even even catch them out and go, you know, um, Jen is really someone that cares about health. Um, this isn't really showing how she cares about health, um, uh, marketing folks. What do you think? How do we how do we make sure that that stays aligned? So it's very much a get in there and be in these meetings, which I know no one likes to sit in a whole bunch of meetings all day, but really get in there and and work with the team as they're going through their processes and you're injecting those personas each step of the way. You're constantly keeping um, reminding them in their head, this is where it is. I also did other little things. Like I created cheat sheets and note cards and, um, you know, all kinds of other different types of uh, of things to kind of remind them. But I, what was always more most effective is to be there in their eyeballs as much as you can and, and really digging it into the process and reminding them of who, of, of who these people are we're in business for. Yes. And – did you do that? Was that something you did primarily in the first two years, you know, when you talked about um, creating the personas and getting getting the company to buy into them, or is this something that you that you feel is continuous? I think it's continuous um, mm-hmm. because, A, I mean, companies, salespeople co- go in and out all the time, so that's a whole new crop of people that you've got to remind. Um uh, marketing goals change over time. They have certain goals of, of demand generation numbers they're trying to meet. So you've got to stay on top and continuously understand their goals and be there. Um, if that's not, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, but you, but you, if you want it to be successful, it's got to be a continuous thing. You're the champion of this individual, and it's your job to remind everybody who these people are that they're working for. And um and you're kind of their lawyer. You can't miss you can't miss the court dates. You you've got to be there to represent your client. Right. <laughs> and represent their interests. So Yeah. Good point. And uh I appreciate you taking the time to follow up with us for our podcast so that we can yeah. answer all these questions people had. I mean hey, I'm I'm just happy to provide as much of my experience as I can. Kind of my hope that People will come to me with some things that they've learned so that I can learn new things. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, Lisa. Have a great one. Thank you. You too. Bye now. Bye. To learn more about the value of personas, check out our website, pragmaticmarketing.com. We've got articles, webinars, ebooks, and white papers to help you become more market-driven. You can also check out our podcast notes to find links to Jonathan Lucky's webinar about his experience creating personas and to an article on the same topic in Pragmatic Marketer. 